Hi, I'm Greg from Omaha. I'm Michael from Baltimore. Hey, I'm Dave from Portland, Oregon. The Sound of Young America is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me. If you'd like to support the show like I did, just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate. I'm Jesse Thorne, live on tape from my house in Los Angeles. It's the Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. Before I talk to Mike Royce and Ray Romano, here's a clip from the show they created, Men of a Certain Age. The three main characters from the show, played by Romano, Andre Brower, and Scott Bakula, are sitting together at a diner and decide to get colonoscopies together. Hey, tell you what, now that I have insurance, thanks to this guy, one thing I will be getting for my birthday, colonoscopy. What? That's a terrible gift. No, no, my doctor recommended his associate in Palm Springs. At first I was like, no way, I'm not going to drive all that way for that. But he said, no, that's the whole point of it. You make a fun thing out of it. Like a five-star hotel, spa treatment, yeah, you sneak in a colonoscopy, but you also have a little R&R, too. You know, it takes the onus off of it. <laughs> onus anus. So, you know, what the hell? He's hooking me up, and I'm going to do it. Yeah, my doctor told me to get one of those last year. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Hey, come with me. Do what? Hold your hand? It's not a couple's massage. No, really. No, hey, you know what, Joe? You come, too. And it'd be like a, like a guy's weekend, huh? It's the anesthesia that freaks me out. But you do got to do it. Yeah, all right, I'm in. I'm in for your little weirdo weekend. Great. Good. All right, I'll go. Ah, of course you're going. All right. <laughs> We're going to be the three muscareers. You know, I'm, I'm not going if you're going to be making all these stupid ass jokes, okay? No puns. None of that nonsense. There's going to be a lot of those. Half the reason to go. I'm excited. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guests on the program are Mike Royce and Ray Romano. They're the co-creators of the TNT somewhat funny drama, uh, Men of a Certain Age. Of course, you know Ray Romano as uh, the uh, immensely successful stand-up comic and uh, star of Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, Mike Royce was also a stand-up comic and a writer on that program for many years, uh, among others. He also uh, worked on Lucky Louie on HBO, uh, among other shows. Uh, Mike, uh, Ray, welcome to The Sound of Young America. Thank you. you Thank know, you. That's... I just want to clear one thing up. Yeah. When you say of the, a somewhat funny, people may think, wow, he's taking a shot at him already. Well, that's, I'm just working hard no, to try and figure out what the right... No, I was no you're say, right. That's the, the best description I've I'm, ever heard What I want to clear up is it is a drama with comedy in it. Yeah, so saying somewhat funny is correct. It's exactly right. It does sound kind of mean, though. As soon as right. I said it, the two things in that introduction that I felt bad about right after they said it was uh, when I said uh, immensely successful stand-up comic for Ray. And then I was like, well, Mike was also a successful stand-up comic. <laughs> no, no, no. But it would be disingenuous for me to say immensely successful. It, uh, I would be exactly right. reasonably successful. It's also accurate to describe me as a somewhat funny stand-up comic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, but you had a lot of dramatic undertones in your act, of course. <laughs> that's right. I was always doing a drama, you a dramedy. You brought the audience performing. along on a journey. That, that's right. That's if right. If you will. Um, so I, I want to ask you guys, uh, Men of a Certain Age is a show that is about middle age. And I want to ask you about um, whether you ever thought of what your life would be like as a 40 and 50 year old um, when you were starting in stand up comedy as a 25 year old. No, <laughs> no, it sneaks up on you. You're, you know, you I still, to this day, 
get, you know, a little, not bummed out, but when I suddenly realize, when I do the numbers in my head and I go 53 and blah, 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 like, wow, it's happening, man. It's just time just just moves on. Yeah, and, and as a stand-up coming up, I'm I'm never I, I first of all I never looked to the future anyway that was my problem you know that's why I went to three different high schools and seven years of college I just was irresponsible anyway but I never thought of uh, what's life going to be like I, I never thought I would get old I think all comedians are kind of you know they have that uh, Peter Pan syndrome you know they just think they're kids yeah I still feel like it yeah but I look in the mirror and I'm like. Who's this old fuck? Jerk. <laughs> Jerk. Yeah. I'm sorry. It was a second too late. Yeah. yeah I, you know, I think I'm one of those people who I grew into myself and kept growing. And like, Is that because you, you were bald early? That's what helped you out. That's, that is correct. That yeah. is correct. I set the bar low early on so that, yeah. you know, for years and years I could look, you know, yeah. oh, he's going to look that old now? But what's great about right. it is... Somebody sees you. They mm-hmm. they haven't seen you since you were thirty. They seen you now. You're close to fifty. Right. You look the same. same I, because you were bald at thirty. You looked shitty back then. Thanks <laughs> yeah. for being consistent. I have to admit that as a 29 year old in a necktie with a receding hairline, that's very comforting <laughs> to me. Yes, you you age more gracefully when you lose your hair early. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You have a good 50 years of this look. One of the um one of the things about being a stand up comedian is that it's a very it, it's in some ways it's uh it's a job that um because it requires you know only a couple of hours of work each day and a couple of hours of writing if you happen to be really diligent it's an easy job but in other ways it's a very difficult job because of the fact that you can't really make money in one place and so no matter where you are in your career you have to have this kind of nomadic lifestyle that's hard even when you're 25 yeah, that's uh, that's true. Well, I was always like, survive. I was a warm up comic. That was how I made my money. As I you know went along, I was a I emceed a lot of shows, and uh, it was yeah, it was always like, okay, where's the next yeah. check coming I, from? You know, I didn't. I was a little bit lucky because I was in Manhattan. Oh, I mean, that's where I was working. Um, I was living in Queens, but so I didn't have to go on the road constantly. I could make. Money, not a lot of money, but I could make enough staying in Manhattan. And, and I was lucky also that I was one of the comics who could kind of call my shots. Like like I could tell the comic strip, uh, I'm available Friday night. I could tell the, the seller, I'm available Saturday. And they would give me the show. So I would do five shows Friday. And my record is seven. I did seven shows on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And you get like 60 bucks a pop for each one. So when I stayed in town... I could still make enough, and I was married, and and we were starting to have kids, so I didn't have to go on the road. But I would still go on the road at least once a month, maybe. You know, when did you start to think about that and and wonder whether that was something that you would be able to do when you were fifty five? Yeah, because I did. You know, I was doing it for about eleven years, and I said, I love what I'm doing. I, uh, you know, I'm lucky enough to do that. But yeah, I'm thirty seven now. Is there a next step, or maybe this is it? Um, not that this is bad that this is it, but this is as high as it goes. And all the other comics were kind of getting, not all the other comics, but the guys that have been at that level were getting all the development deals and the potential chances for you know a, a sitcom or whatever. And nobody really was, was biting. Um, 
I had done all the shows. I'd done everything. I'd done Leno, Carson, all the HBO specials, everything. So there was, it wasn't like I wasn't there. It was just nobody was doing it. And then I did Letterman, and Letterman was the only one who responded. I go there quite often to Burger King's, McDonald's. I have uh, children. I have to take them somewhere. I have, uh, yeah. I have a three-year-old daughter and twin two-year-old boys. Well, <laughs> thank you. Single people are here. <laughs> Single people love, yay, twins. Uh, parents, uh, oh, that could have been us. Oh. I'll tell you, you know, it doesn't matter if you laugh or not. I'm just happy to be out of the house right now. I'll be honest with you. I will be honest. A little bit of tape from Ray Romano's career-altering appearance on David Letterman. Shortly after that spot, Letterman's production company, Worldwide Pants, approached Romano to do a sitcom. That show became Everybody Loves Raymond. Ray Romano, my guest, along with Mike Royce. They're the creators of Men of a Certain Age. When I did it, I knew I had a good set. Even I'm very, you know, kind of hard on myself, but even I had to give it up that, well, that was a pretty good set. <laughs> yeah. And then I just thought, hey, if anybody is interested, if anybody, you know, sees something, if they don't see it now, it, it just, you know, whatever. Maybe it ain't going to happen. And they literally called a week later. They literally called my house. I was living in Queens, and it was a Saturday. And... Rob Burnett, who was the exec producer then, called my house. And my wife came in the backyard. We had a small little attached house. And, you know, I was uh, hosing one of the kids off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and she said, Rob Burnett's on the phone from Letterman. And, you know, I came on and he said, listen, um, we like what we saw. And we're we're interested in a possible development deal. So just, you know, we'll talk. But. Don't sign with anybody else because we're interested. And, you know, I told him, there's nobody else, you know. <laughs> I know this is bad business, but uh, you're it. Um, and that's it. That's how it came to be, yeah. Uh, Phil Rosenthal was recently a guest on The Sound of Young America. He's He's got a documentary about <laughs> translating uh, Everybody Loves Raymond for the Russian audience. It's a really interesting thing. And um, I, I was talking with him a little bit about... Um, how once uh, Raymond became a success and once Raymond reached that uh, kind of magical level that sitcoms get to where you have enough episodes for syndication and thus, uh, as I understand it, as a public radio host, everyone magically gets rich somehow. Um, yes, yes. Then uh, what, what it was that kept, uh, 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 that motivated the show and also <laughs> led the show to end uh, before it needed to end. It was still a huge success when it ended. Both of you guys were working on the show yeah. during that time. Well, you yes. don't think, the public doesn't think it needed to end. But if you were inside, you, you, we, we knew that... Uh, it was. All, it could have went, but it would have been. It really all came down to. I mean, as far as Phil and Ray went, do we have more stories to tell? But also more stories. Yes, I mean the the main issue was more stories. The other issue was you know Peter wasn't healthy. Peter's health, yeah, yeah. Um, but 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 mostly it was. Uh, do we feel like we're cheating? We're stealing from ourselves? Just repeating, you know, making up themes that are. 
kind of variations of something we did and and we just felt like we you know we used it all up and we we wanted to go out on a high note instead of just feeling like you know we stayed one season too long and just have that bad taste in your mouth you know when that happened um Ray, specifically for you, since you had been the star of the show and and um, uh, and also had helped, you know, conceive of the show and, and had a producerial role on the show the whole time, um, you pretty much uh, you were in, in in an interesting position, which is to say that you were um, you didn't have to work for money reasons. Um, you were. Uh, an extraordinarily successful television star and a huge television star, but not a movie star. And I, I wonder how you how you decided like what you wanted to do. Was it just a matter of just like, um, you know, I want to take a break. I want to be a dramatic actor. I want to direct. Um, it was a matter of, you know, yeah. First, it was just. Let's just see where I land, you know, where my passion takes me or whatever, or what I decide. And there was no rush, and it was kind of exciting to think, you know, because nine years of being in that bubble, and, you, like, I was wearing a lot of hats, and it was all very consuming. And then all of a sudden to have this, you know, financial success, and, and you know, I was, yeah, I mean, the show was a success. I had a little bit of that f- fame, if you want to call it that. Um, I'll probably call it that. Yeah, this yeah, is the yeah. word for what it was. <laughs> but it felt like this. Oh boy, this will be. I'll, I'll freaking. I'll golf and I'll. You know, um, uh, and I'll whatever I want to do. I'll just have fun. And it was a couple months. You know, I was. If a great movie script came by, I would do it. But I know now because we're on the inside of the casting for the show that we do. It's hard for a te- a guy who's been. You know, the public has seen for nine years. It's hard to think of them as something else. So the movie offers were not coming, the ones that I wanted. Um, and it was about three or four months. And I it hit me pretty hard, this, this empty, creative, uh, spiritual, uh, um, you know, void, kind of a who am I crisis and what am I doing and where – what I, you know, wake up and – go to the office for what and you know is it is it over have i done everything and that's when i talked to mike and we had lunch and he was kind of going through the same thing for different you know on different levels and we said let's let's do this let's do this show what was that conversation like when you two first got together what did you talk about we just started talking because we just are friends and started talking about in a big way we had both come to los angeles and got plopped down and started working on this thing and then it ends and you're sitting around going, okay, I'm in this fake place. Yeah. I don't, I don't know anybody here except because of the job. No. I don't know where I am anymore. I don't know what, what I'm doing here. Yeah. Um, you know, you, all of a sudden it's like the 10 years of your life. Go, Holy shit. I'm 47. And uh, I mean, uh, and I live here. I live in LA. It's like, you're, you're so consumed with the show that it, you know, you're not aware of what's going on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so it was just this immediate, like, yeah, I'm feeling that way too. I'm feeling that way too. I'm, I was reading articles about peak oil. I'm worried about the world ending. I started taking Pilates. I started hiking. You know, <laughs> yeah. I was just, something's got to. Yeah. 
help me fill 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 the void. Right, right. It, it feels to me a, a little bit, and, and you guys can tell me if this seems crazy, but um, it, it feels to me it, both on the show and to some extent what you're describing. It's like, um, what if those teenage existential problems had stakes? Like, what if they were really, like, you know, when you're a teenager, there's nothing that you can do that's so bad that you can't fix it within two months. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Well, I wish you told that to my 17-year-old self. Who murdered someone. (laughs) (laughs) Who murdered my 16-year-old self. (laughs) Wow. Well, what's really impressive is that your 17-year-old self built that time machine. (laughs) (laughs) He was a smart one. (laughs) You got to hand it to that fella. (laughs) But no, I I think it's very... uh, And this is actually a thematic... um, I should say it's like a parallel in the show that his son in the show, there's sort of a a tying together of, of Joe... Uh, you know, Ray's character and his son, Albert. And I, I really think that um, midlife or when you get into your 40s, there is a sort of weird second teenagerhood that takes over. And it can manifest itself just like teenagers do, total craziness or nothing or somewhere in between. But I think there's a lot of – when you're a teenager, you see adulthood coming. You maybe don't see it clearly, but you, you, your body and your mind feel it coming and you're going through a lot of changes and you're dealing with it uh, uh, moment to moment. So there's just so much thrashing around and turmoil. And I think in the same way, when you're in your 40s, you see death coming. You know, You may not <coughs> crystallize it in your mind that way, but that's what's happening. Sure. And you start to run out the clock. Okay, if I still do what I'm doing, is am I, uh, what happens then? Okay, if I change my whole life, what happens then? Should I go back and do the thing that I always wanted to do? I, it just all, I think, naturally takes hold no matter who you are, where you are in your life, how successful. But, the, but for me, the key is find something to do that takes your mind off of that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's Um, true. Yes. uh, I mean, if you're, you know, if you're passionate about your work, if you're, if you're enjoying, if you think you're doing something um, that you love to do, just if if you can just live in that moment and not think about where you are and how old you are and all that. And that doesn't, that doesn't happen when you're sitting at home. No. Looking at the, but it's like a Mobius strip then because you're doing a show about, yeah. T- taking your mind off the... You, I know. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I guess. But well, somebody do the math on that, but you know what I'm saying. I'm not saying you don't take medication also. <laughs> <laughs> it's a combo. <laughs> More with Mike Royce and Ray Romano after a break. It's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI. The Sound of Young America is supported in part by VG Kids, printers of T-shirts and other merchandise for touring bands, radio stations, websites, festivals, derby girls, record labels, national brands, and all the rabble-rousers, hackers, and entrepreneurs in between. Online at VGKids.com. The Sound of Young America is a proud sponsor of Sketchfest NYC in New York City at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater June 8th through 11th. You can catch some of the best sketch comedy in the country, including past Sound of Young America guests, The Whitest Kids You Know, folks from Marvel Comics, and the legendary Rejection Show. You can find more information about Sketchfest NYC online at sketchfestnyc.com. The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. And by 
Field Notes brand, makers of American memo books, and more. Now featuring county fair editions, one for each state in the United States of America. Field Notes brand. I'm not writing it down to remember it later. I'm writing it down to remember it now. Fieldnotesbrand.com. Here's a clip from Men of a Certain Age. The show is very funny, but it also has a lot of very effective drama. Romano's character in the show, Joe, owns a party supply store. And in this clip, he's approached at work by the mother of his bookie, who's also become his friend. Like I say, uh, Joe, Burton sick. Cancer. What? Is it serious? It's a colon. They did the operation where they take part of it out. I keep telling him he's got to take the chemo. He's dragging his feet ten ways to Sunday. It's a good guy. It'd be nice if a person could say that face to face, especially when you're in the neighborhood. Uh, This is our busiest season, and uh, it's just really hard for me to get away right now. Hmm. Thought you were his friend. Well, I, I gambled with him. Didn't you swim? Yeah. Didn't you golf? Yeah. Well, that's something. Why'd you just drop by? Yeah, I don't know. Listen, I got a thing with gambling. Only it's not a thing anymore because I'm not doing it right now. I'm not around it, you understand? I can't be around it. You know, when we started doing this show, a lot of people said, well, was it hard to make the transition into drama? And did you, did you, you know, how did the writing go and all that stuff? Uh, we just kind of did what, whatever felt right and, and, you know, for better or for worse, refused to classify it. We just said, okay, this is what it feels like. It's dramatic. Um, we're also comedians, so there's always going to be a sense that these characters are going to feel like they're funny because they're just they're coming out of us. And we right. sometimes feel like we're funny. Sometimes we're wrong. Um, Somewhat funny, as you somewhat said. Funny. Somewhat funny. But but the notion that he w- would somehow have to make some kind of jarring transition, you know, he's making something look incredibly natural, which is the hardest thing to do. And so that can go comedically. And I think you see that in everybody's Raymond and, and something that I think gets forgotten. He does the same thing on this show. It's just he's playing a different character. It's a, di- it's a different thing, though. I mean, s- stand-up especially... Um, even with, I, I think Gray has a really remarkable ability to uh, ground things, um, and I, I'm I'm thinking of a, of a favorite bit that I remember from watching him on Doctor Katz about uh, uh, about his wife sending him to go get yogurt um, uh, to check out a check out a horrible noise, and then she oh, adds yeah. on to it. And could you also get me some bring yogurt? Up, bring up the yogurt if it's nothing. Yeah. And then <laughs> that goes to the the third beat of that joke is um, uh, actually either way. Yeah. Could you bring me some yogurt? <laughs> yeah. Well, I found out all the roles that I was going to play right after I got married. You know, you think you know them all. You think, oh, it's take out the garbage and mow the lawn. Those are the traditional roles. Right after I got married, I found out that in the middle of the night, I was now the automatic noise checker-outer. Every little thing. What was that? No, it's nothing. No, check it out. Check it out. What do you mean, nothing? Uh, that could be a burglar. 
with a gun. So be careful. Go. Watch out. Put your slippers on. You might have to run. Bring me up a yogurt if it's nothing. Either way. I want a yogurt either way. Don't come back without a yogurt slipper, boy. Oh, so, so you're I'm the, the noise checker. And that is obviously, like, that's absurd. Um, but it's Ray's ability to ground that that grounds it and makes it feel honest, even though it's completely ridiculous. That act of creating that is about finding moments that will get laughs. Like, it's about building for externalities for the audience like when you're when you're developing that skill at performing for laughter you learn about the way that your rhythm can get that laugh and the way that you can punch a joke like what part you emphasize to make the joke seem funny and so on and so forth and all of those things are like layers on top of you know probably if if especially if you're a good stand up a you know a certain like core emotional truth um but like doing meisner technique for example is essentially uh essentially an effort to like strip all artifice away to the point where your responses are so automatic that they're naturally uh, honest and and i wonder if it was ever scary for you ray as someone who had spent so much time getting so good at being able to sell humor yeah. to actually take all that away, take a, just start well, over I, without I, those I, skills. I, I got to tell you, it, 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 it didn't come naturally right away because I look at when I watch Everybody Loves Raymond, just as an example, I see the difference between year one and year two. And I, and I, and I see, cause, and that's the same with stand-up, what you're, exactly what you're talking about took took years of stand-up to get. But that's why when this show came along, I feel like um, I had already done uh, the work and I felt I was at that place where it all felt um, like it could just come out, you know, uh, naturally. And I didn't... Um, I mean, I still have to work at it and all, but um, it felt very organic to me. Uh, the dramatic moments as well as the uh, as the comedic moments, but it's funny. You are right. It's true. You can take a, a bit and exaggerate it, and yet, you know, you know. I find when I watch like Thirty Rock, I, that I I am most uh, what what appeals to me the most is the real comedy and 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 something I can relate to. And Thirty Rock, they go, you know, some of those characters are crazy cartoons, yet somehow. It works for me. I, I, you know, she does that both too. You know, that goes off into Broadville and, and car, you know, cartoon land, but there's something grounded underneath it all that, that, that it works for me. Uh, you know, there aren't many shows like that, you know, where they can be cartoony characters and, and I still, I still, um, can believe the can, world. Yeah. You know, you yeah, know, yeah, the yeah. World yeah. They created. It's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guests are Ray Romano and Mike Royce, the co-creators of Men of a Certain Age, which uh, the second part of the second season premieres on TNT June 1st. Um, Ray, your character on the show is named Joe, and he's a a divorce, a recent divorcee. He's recently uh, separated from his wife, who was um, sleeping with another guy. Um, And uh, he you realize from looking at him how lost he is 
Um, not just in terms of like, who am I and what is my life, but just that divorce really drives home how socially lost he is. There's a, there's a few scenes, uh, uh, where he's like at parties and he's, you just see this bafflement. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, um, I wanted that character to be, uh, single, I mean, divorced, not married because I had done the, I had done the married thing for nine years. And and I I thought well how are we going to write this we don't really know what the single life is but that's perfect because neither does this character and that's exactly what he should be he's he's lost all of a sudden you know he's married twenty years and now he's forty nine years old and he's suddenly in this world where he has to figure out uh, how do I meet somebody else. Um, you know, I wasn't even good at it back then. Um, so it's fun. It's fun to play and I, it's organic because that's how I would be. Yeah. Has that ever been an issue for you? Not the divorce part, but that, that element of feeling like you're not, you're not standing comfortably in social world. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that why? I, I, that's why you're a performer. Yeah, isn't that part of it? Yeah, <laughs> that is a you know. You feel comfortable on stage, and then, I mean, I feel more comfortable talking to a room of a thousand people than one on one. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought that was amazing about like people would go, "Well, you must have been the class clown." I'm like, "No, I was not the." <laughs> those people uh, in class try to be funny, and those people will kill those me. Those people become <laughs> successful insurance salesmen. Yes. Yes. I. I I think that is. If Although I, sometimes that's not the rule, though, because I was I was. There's all types of comedians, but but yeah. I went to my uh, high school reunion, and the guy who used to sit across from me in like seventh grade and punch me, uh, and and kick me, um, and rub boogers on my locker, if I remember correctly. <laughs> uh, but he's like, "What have you been doing?" You know, and I'm like, "Well, uh, I think he might have known I worked on Everybody Was Raymond. Maybe that right. was it." And then he, you know, uh, how'd you, how'd you, how'd that happen? I said, well, I was actually a stand-up comic I, up until just about now. You know, I've been a stand-up comic ever since I left college. And he just looked at me. I mean, you've never seen a more perplexed <laughs> face. And I just let him stare for a while. I go, I go, that's, I guess that's a little hard to believe. He goes, <laughs> and there's a big pause. And he goes, yeah, I'm still chewing on that. <laughs> <laughs> so... 13 years of successful stand-up comedy, not disbelief from people I grew up with. Here's another scene from Men of a Certain Age. The three main characters are on a weekend trip, specifically a weekend trip to get colonoscopies together. And Romano's character has lost a mind bet against himself. He's a compulsive gambler. Because of the mind bet, he's decided he can't watch television in his own hotel room, and he tries to convince Andre Brower's character to hang out. What's going on? Hey! You gonna let me in, you know? Uh, actually, I was uh, thinking about just, you know... Come on, we'll hang out. It'll be like the dorms. Nah, you know, I, I think I'll just, um, I'll just see you tomorrow morning. Wait, wait. All right, hold on. Kind of, uh... I lost uh, TV privileges. What? So out of damn 82... Uh, stupid mind, but are you kidding? I, I, I thought I gave myself a cushion. Seventy six shouldn't be hard on these easy desert courses, but then I just I felt all rushed today, and the lady kept saying, "Good one." And uh, anyway, no TV for me. 
But that's not to say I can't be in your room while you watch TV. What is that, like a loophole with God? No. I can't change your channels, but if you're watching, I'm in a room. I'm, I'm totally within my rights. There are no rights. You made it all up. Well, you know that, and I know that. But I don't know that. When you were uh, casting these parts, the parts that are besides Ray's part, um, were Scott Bakula and Andre Brower the kind of person that you were thinking of for those roles? These are two... I mean, these are among the most accomplished television actors in their peer group. I mean, both spectacularly uh, gifted. I think the answer is a little bit and no. I mean, I think first of all... For Scott, Scott was in the ballpark... Andre, no. We weren't thinking of Andre Brower. <laughs> right. Andre yeah. Brower was, I mean, on yeah. on Homicide, Homicide yeah. his his character on Men of a Certain Age is uh, is a guy who um, yeah, really. uh, in the first season is working for his father at uh, his father's car dealership. He's kind of lousy at it. Uh, he's only there because when he tried to do something when he was in his 20s, he failed. Um, and he's just sort of biding time uh, in in an effort to you know hopefully eventually inherit it, but doesn't seem to even have that much of a plan for no, that when he does. He's not in charge. He's yeah. not in charge. Yeah. Whereas on homicide, all you see is just yes. this extraordinary, brilliant competence. Like he's right. just burns with competence, right. and yes. that has largely been what his career has been. Is like, look at this guy. Like yes. you look behind his eyes and you see brilliance. Yes, yes. That's why when the, he was pitched to us, we I think originally we just said, well, that's that's I mean, crazy. It's a, you know, he's a great <laughs> actor, but it's just not the guy we're thinking of. And, you know, first of all, we wrote him as being overweight, diabetic, overweight, um, uh, you know, frumpy, just put upon, just uh, downtrodden, you know. Um, and I, yeah, like you say, Andre Brower is the last guy you think of in that way. We just wanted a guy who I think the spark was gone, who, yes, had let himself go probably much more than, than Andre, certainly more than we pictured Andre had. Andre, Andre was maybe, you know, had put on a few more pounds than he had when he was in Homicide, yeah. which, by the way, he's now lost, so he screwed us completely. But he hasn't completely <laughs> um, lost it. Yeah. Um, well, he just gained that weight because he knew it would help him get parts. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll see if that's true. Um, but, yeah, it, 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 you and all, when you think of Andre Brower, yes, you think of a guy who's... Uh, like you said, shining with competence. And so it just didn't seem like, it seemed like Andre Brower, A type, we were casting a B type. In a way, the fact that he isn't, um, <laughs> that he's, that he isn't a comic and he doesn't deliver a joke like a comic really adds yeah. a lot to the show because it adds to, on the rare, on the rare occasion that he makes a joke even if he does what you might describe otherwise as a bad job of making the joke, it feels like the way a real person makes a joke when talking to a friend of theirs. Either he's really good at this, or you've done a lot of research. <laughs> Have you done a lot of research of our interviews and stuff? Because I tell that exact story about him, how he, he, you, you write something, you know, we write it, and we know the comedic rhythm of this is this, and he goes exactly the opposite, <laughs> and it still works. I mean... It I, works better, because, yeah. No, yeah. Should I tell the example? Yeah. The example was, uh, he did something with his wife. He said something to his wife and that he shouldn't have said, something about how little she works during the day. He put his foot in his mouth, 
And we were saying, what are you going to do? He goes, look, I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to tell her, um, you know, I said something and, you know, I may not amend it, but I work hard and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he's showing a little bit of bravado, you know, and whatever. And if she can't handle that, then, well, then I don't know what else to say. And, you know, there's a long pause. And then Scott goes, you scared? And and the way it's written, it's supposed to be, Andre's supposed to jump right on. He goes, you scared? A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> right? So that's the way the he wrote it. The standard comic yes. timing that we expected. Yeah. And I said to Mike, I go, you know there's no way he is going <laughs> to come right in on that with a little bit. <laughs> and sure enough, he waited so long. <laughs> you scared? And he just went, a little bit. You know, whatever. And whatever. The way he did it, it was still funny, you know? It was and funnier because the other way was kind of... It was kind of hacky. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. You worked on Everybody Loves Raymond for so long, and this was a, a show that was drawing stories from the people that were working on it. The writers were bringing things in from their lives. Um, how has it affected your life to be creating art about this challenging period in your lives that both of you were were in and i presume are to some extent going through hmm, that's an interesting question how is it affecting our life yeah does it change the way you think about how you're well, living i i it's i think i would pile onto what he was saying in terms of i i have thought many times about what i would be feeling if i wasn't doing this particular show this show is certainly as personal a show as you could hope to do not that the stories, I mean, the stories come out of a whole bunch of different people's <laughs> lives, including mine, but the, the fact that we can kind of almost feel the show, I, I you know, like I, I get so wrapped up in the stories when we're like talking about them. And one time I cried in the writer's room, which was a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> I don't no, it was one of the, I don't think you were there. Um, that's why I was crying because you weren't there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it, 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 I think about if I weren't doing this show, I'd probably be doing something I had a little less uh, emotion about, you know, a little less uh, attachment to. And so in that way, I feel very fortunate. Um, and, uh, and it also, I think, makes me see a little bit, I mean, I'm, because I'm a writer and I'm a, a story vampire looking to, you know, take from anybody, I, I start looking at other people's lives in that way. Like, oh, they're about my age. What are they going through? What are they, you know, what's their situation? So. Yeah. So you sympathize, maybe. Right? Yeah. 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 Ray, you've had some time to think about it. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's affected me in the sense where I look at my life differently because of what maybe from something I see in the show. Um, I think I'm too wrapped up in it, you know. I just know it helps me be happy, you know, working, doing it and creating and just it's 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 something I, I you know I've exed my uh, shrink. Why do I need this to be happy? Why can't, aren't normal people just happy? Do they have to be goal oriented? Do they have to have something? And you know, he said, "Time's up." <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's just that's 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 what it is. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying my, my family is 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 my life and and I, and I 
and, and they're the most important in the world, but it's this is also part of what makes me happy is doing this. So in that sense, it's, it's you know, when I'm happy, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a good father and I'm a good husband when I'm happy. Um, and I'm a good boyfriend. But nobody <laughs> needs to know that. Mike Royce and Ray Romano are the co-creators of Men of a Certain Age, of which Ray Romano is one of the stars. Uh, the second half of the second season premieres June 1st on TNT. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show produced by Speaking Into Microphones. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, where you can download any of our shows absolutely 100% for free. You can also find this show and our other shows, like the comedy talk show Jordan Jesse Go, for free in iTunes. If you have thoughts about the show, you can always email me. My email address is jesse, J-E-S-S-E, at MaximumFun.org. That's jesse at MaximumFun.org. My only request is that you not correct my grammar. I guess that's about all that needs to be said. We'll see you next time right here on The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com.